Ray, we're not even supposed to be here because it's supposed to be a Cubs game. But we here. We still here. Let's go. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score. And 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station. Socks Machine. Jim Margulis, co-host of the Socks Machine podcast. It's either pure stubbornness or hubris, but there's no case for Larry batting third. The internet's longest running White Sox podcast. That period of time where the White Sox were spending over $50 million on the bullpen makes me think there was some mismanagement. There was a little bit of fixating too much on individual moves and losing the thread on the shape of the team. And I think the Kimbrel trade bailed him out a little bit. Managing editor of SoxMachine.com. Rick Hahn often manages the team like he's going to be the one cleaning up the mess eight years from now. If they do sign that Marcus Semien deal, if they do sign that Manny Machado contract, like other GMs would say, well, if this doesn't work, I'm fired anyway. So I'm going to leave it for the next guy. I'm going to go for glory and at least have a ring to show for it for my next job. Jim Margulis with Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. We want machine. Socks machine. Jim Margulis joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's the largest sports book. Jim, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it as the White Sox get ready to take on the Red Sox this weekend out in Boston. I got to ask you, because I was I was going through this myself as I was watching the, the White Sox beat the Cubs in that two-game series and, of course, like get the final win against, against Anaheim. The Angels are pretty good. The Cubs aren't right now. What should I take away from what the White Sox did in the two-game series with the Cubs? I think if you can separate basically this this last week with the Angels and Cubs series against everything that came before it with the eight-game losing streak and three consecutive series losses to AL Central opponents, I think it's pretty good. I think it's more or less what you could expect. I think the, you know, as the calendar turns to May, I'm reluctant to point to the weather and say, you know, it's it's really tough to play out there because, you know, that 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 excuse is used in April and it tends to wear thin and 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 cover up uh, some mistakes that are just you know flat out flaws of the team. But the the conditions at Wrigley looked about as unplayable as playable gets, and so when it comes to that. Uh, you know, just the you know forty degree weather. You're talking about wind chills along with wind speed and rain, you know, blowing in and out. I'm inclined to think just get the winds however they come. And in this case, the White Sox did enough offensively. They pitched well enough. I think more importantly, they didn't hurt themselves. Like they they made the Cubs beat them, and the Cubs couldn't. So I think you know, given the way they played defense. Uh, in the very recent past, I, I think that's an improvement, even if the offense is still slow to show up. Okay. Well, what are some of the issues that the offense is still seeing? Because even inside that series, it, it was it was better, but it wasn't mm-hmm. fixed. Well, I think, you know, one thing that was better was that Tim Anderson is looking like Tim Anderson and Luis Robert is starting to get back into you know his usual shape when it comes to the the kind of pitches he could pull and, and, and do some damage on. I think Robert coming back from his groin injury looked a little bit too anxious with swinging a lot of first pitches, you know, beating a lot of balls into the ground that he should have taken and waiting for better opportunities. But he, he seemed to be a little bit uh, more patient, letting the game come to him, started driving the balls through the infield into the outfield. And that helps. I think when those two are making the game look easy, the rest of the offense flows a little bit more. 
but you know when they're limited to singles, it requires a little bit uh, you know more backup. And I think the next step is getting Jose Abreu to uh, keep balls off the ground, and you hit that homer, so that's a positive sign. Uh, then after that, it comes down to Yasmani Grandal uh, getting, you know, finding his rhythm and maybe he needs to play a little bit more. Like I, I think uh, Tony LaRusse is really trying to manage his knees with Reese McGuire playing so much, but I wonder if that's kind of detrimental to his approach at the plate. Uh, Andrew Vaughn is hurt, so that, that, that uh, uh, hurts a little bit. But I think uh, the guy I'm looking at right now is A.J. Pollock. Uh, I think uh, watching him come back from his hamstring strain, I was surprised that he didn't get a rehab stint. And he looks like a guy who's playing right now as though this is a rehab stint for him at the major league level. Like his timing seems off. Uh, he's, he's chasing a lot of pitches. He doesn't normally chase. He's not really doing damage against any specific kind of pitch. So it doesn't make me think it's like bat speed or uh, getting beaten by pitchers. I think it's just more not having his timing and then maybe, you know, internally uh, freaking out a little bit just because he wants to finally have that one game that puts him back on track. So that's, I think, when when the offense takes its next step and looks a little less constipated, I think Pollock will be the guy. I, I, I was reading on SoxMachine.com today your preview of, of White Sox-Red Sox. How similar are these two teams? Pretty similar. And, and, and that's one thing I'm kind of keeping in mind when trying to assess just how bad the White Sox offense has been is – Day to day, there are so many shutouts, so many games where like, you know, only one team involved is able to score more than three runs. Uh, just, you know, it almost looks like uh, box scores or daily summaries from 1968, just based on uh, how little travel uh, the balls have. Even like the Dodgers, there was an article today about the Dodgers just trying to manage how to deal with. Uh, fly balls not traveling. Marcus Semyon, who signed the big contract that I mentioned in, in your very nice uh, intro you did for me. Like right now, he's off to a rough start because he's somebody who succeeded by pulling the ball in the air, and all of a sudden those balls are not, you know, they're dying on the warning track for him. So he's off to a terrible start with the Rangers. So around the league, uh, there are a lot of teams dealing with the same issues, maybe not as consistently as the White Sox are, because I think they have the problem with right handed pitching that other teams don't have. So it's a little bit more persistent. But the Red Sox are right there along with them, like bottom third offense and uh, a lineup that's really three-star hitters and then nobody else is producing Trevor Stories off to a terrible start and getting booed by Boston fans. So when you look at just exactly uh, what they're producing, it's not a lot. And uh, it's also the same problem that the White Sox have in terms of getting over four runs per game has been really difficult for them. And then even in this case against the Angels where they scored five runs twice, they lost both of those games because they have some holes in the pitching staff too. So pretty similar. I, I think their pitching staff, their starting rotation is a little bit more shaky than the White Sox are, but you know, the, the Red Sox have a, a history of making White Sox pitching look, uh, you know, kind of, uh, really, uh, desperate at times with their ability to work the count. So perhaps this is the case where aggression comes in. I don't want to invite that by saying that the, uh, Dallas Keuchel or whoever's pitching should be able to rebound. But I, I think this is as good a time to face Boston as any. I know that as it stands right now, there aren't really any alternatives for the White Sox, but what what do you envision they're going to do with Dallas Keuchel? I think the best case scenario would be as long as Lance Lynn is out and as long as you know Johnny Cueto is getting into game shape in AAA but not knowing exactly how that's going to translate to the major league level. It would be great to have Keuchel around for a little bit. Maybe great's overstating it, but it would be helpful, useful. 
<laughs> I'll put it that way. Uh, I'll use a more appropriate adjective. But when it comes to the, I, I guess, Keuchel himself, when he's throwing, you know, half of his pitches for strikes or even less than half his pitches for strikes, yeah, I think he's 40 of 79 the last time out. That's that's not Keuchel. That's not how he's going to succeed if he even can succeed. I think, you know, the, the, the version of Keuchel who is going to be useful is somebody who throws five to six innings, you know, allows three or fewer runs, uh, gets a lot of ground balls, is good for his first 50 pitches and efficient through his first 50 pitches. And then after that, you just kind of have to judge it batter by batter and, and have the bullpen phone ready to go. Um, in this case, when he's throwing, you know, when he, when he's, when he's falling behind so many hitters, you know, two Oh and three one, and he doesn't have the kind of pitch to get back in the count when his changeups are so far off the plate and his cutters are so far off the plate into righties that they're just easy takes. Um, yeah, this is a case where this guy is just, you know, he's, he's asking for trouble. And if that ball starts flying the extra 10 feet, when the weather warms up, uh, there, there really is nowhere for him to go. So, uh, individually, I'd like to see Keuchel throw, you know, 60% of his pitches for strikes like he usually does and see what hitters actually do to him when the defense is playing acceptably, uh, because we haven't really seen that question answered, but if he's dodging contact like that, uh, there is, really is no way for him to help in a meaningful way. So, um, you know, if that's the case and, and he doesn't look like a guy you want to start or you'd re- even rather take the mystery box of this Cueto over Keuchel, then I think, you know, I wonder if that's the case where we'll see some kind of IL stint for injuries, real or theoretical, just to buy a, a few extra weeks to see how Cueto goes, see how Lynn's doing, and then maybe uh, delay the big uh, move or the, the 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 final decision for later. Talking with Jim Margulis of the Sox Machine, the Sox Machine podcast. You should check it out. It's really good if you're a Sox fan. I don't know what you're waiting on. This podcast has been around forever, and they do great work, which is why we wanted to have them with us each week. What's the report on Cueto? Well, I saw him pitch in Nashville his first time out, and he was sitting 89-91. to 91. Uh, a lot of um, you know, line drives against him. Uh, he was also not able to uh, deploy his full bag of tricks with like the uh, real hesitation delay and triple shimmy and timing delays because AAA is on the pitch clock. So, uh, you know, it was a little bit different watching him. And if that was all he had, then I would say like that's it, it's closer to like Odrisim or Despagne than anybody who can help just because that is just a kind of kitchen sink I'll throw everything against the wall, hoping that I can get through five innings. But next two times out, his velocity was up to 92. He was keeping it better, had a super efficient time. His second start, third start had one bad inning, so he only got to three and two-thirds innings, but he did throw 74 pitches. So I think right now, if you treat his rehab stint or his, you know, um, his time in Charlotte as a rehab stint or a extended spring training to where he's warming up, and able to build on each appearance, then I think he's on a track to make some starts for the White Sox and see what he has. I was a little bit more worried, I think, after his debut, where it looked like he had nothing, but he's grown a little bit, and I think you know maybe by the time he makes his first start with the White Sox, whether that's uh, one or two starts from now, um, I think it's worth watching with open eyes, and then if he has a rough start, uh, just... Give him another one just to see how much of this is just knocking rust off. Could end poorly. I mean, like the reason the White Sox were able to sign him is because there is the question about how much he has left. But I think right now the idea is to buy, you know, cross days and cross weeks off the calendar until Lynn comes back and, and then hope that he can at least get you a, a few more, you know, a few more starts, a few more weeks, a couple more months until the trade deadline can maybe answer that rotation spot for 
uh, you know, more firmly. But there's a chance that he can be a decent, you know, fourth or fifth starter uh, just because I don't think he's quite touched his ceiling yet for what he has to offer uh, this year. What's wrong with Bummer? It looks like, you know, based on his data, based on, you know, his, I guess, body language, his reaction, based on how he's described it to the media, it seems like it's a delivery thing. It's an arm slot thing. Uh, his velocity's a bit down. His uh, action on his pitches is muted. Like, he's not getting ground balls the way he used to. Uh, so it seems like he's fighting himself. He's trying to unlock the uh, delivery that maxes out his movement and his velocity. And he's not finding it. Sometimes, you know, when that's happening, the case is that, you know, they get the guy's injured. But in this case, I don't think he is. Like, I think he's been struggling um, acutely enough. The velocity dip has been, you know, persistent enough to where, like, if those were flags, uh, I think the White Sox would be on him saying, like, are you dealing with any discomfort? Uh, you know, I know that Garrett Crochet is out and you really want to be around and useful, but if you're not, you know, if you're not feeling it, uh, let us know. But he's still going out there, still taking the ball in an important situations. So I imagine it's just, you know, the pitches when they work are still really good. You know, the, the slider gets some ugly swings, the sinker. Uh, he, he had a couple outings in a row where he got those weak ground balls before the, uh, the, the relapse in, in his most recent appearance against the Cubs. But it seems like they're just crossing their fingers that, you know, he'll have like a three outing stretch where it makes sense and everything looks good. And he's getting the grounders and swings and misses that few pitchers can get. But with, you know, crochet outs with Bennett Souza, not really looking like a guy. Um, I think they just really want bummer to look. My hope is that when Joe Kelly comes back, one of Kelly's strengths is that he gets lefties out basically as good as he gets righties out because he's, you've got that, that change up that neutralizes lefties. So when he, he comes back, I'm hoping that he'll show enough to take some of the stress off Bummer and make his appearances less important. Jim, as always, I appreciate when we get a chance to hang out and talk ball. I'm sure that the Sox machine will have a lot of stuff this weekend, and uh, next week becomes really important, and it looks like there's going to be some good weather for the Southside Nine, so I'm I'm looking forward to all the stuff that, that you and Josh are going to produce. Well, thank you very much, and I'm looking forward to not having cold weather as an excuse, and we can discuss fly balls, how they're meant to be hit. You are damn right about that, sir. Have a wonderful weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. You too. That is Jim Margulis of the Sox Machine. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Sox Machine podcast. It's amazing. It's really great. I listen to it all the time. They have great stuff. The written word stuff that Jim and and Josh do on SoxMachine.com is fantastic as well. Ryan Poles, the GM of the Bears, was on the score this morning. I wanted to leave a little bit of time to, one, bring the interview back for those that didn't hear it, and two, react to what I hear. We are going to do that next here on the score. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670, the score in Odyssey Station. Bear down. Thank you so much for hanging out here with us on this rainy afternoon in Seattle. Hopefully, the sun will come out tomorrow. Hopefully. Bet your bottom dollar. And then next week, we're going to be sunny and hopefully in the 80s. It's great. This week, I've taken a lot of feedback from 
Bears fans, whether I'm looking on Twitter or Instagram or people in my mentions, people who listen to the score, they're inside the Twitch stream or they're texting. And it seems as if people are kind of split on what the Bears draft has been. So I've been talking with experts, former players, reporters about what it is that the Bears were trying to accomplish with this draft and what they actually got done. And how do we view what they got done? Well, Ryan Poles, the architect of the the Bears, because he's now the GM, the top football man for your Chicago Bears, was on with Mully and Haw. And where things seem to be is fans are wondering... Did he do enough in this draft to make Justin Fields better? Mullion Haw asked him that question. That's where things start. Here's his response. I would have done harm to this team if I just went with need and I didn't put the best players available on, on this team. And I'm excited about Kyler and Jaquan um, right off the bat there. Those are guys that we had really good grades on and we stuck with the board. So, you know, we're going to get this team better and this roster better, but we have to do it the right way. And that's taking the, what's best available and we keep moving. And as I mentioned before, we're going to, we're going to keep firing away. We got some really good offensive players as well in the draft. Um, you know, great talent comes from all, I mean, there's great guys and hall of famers that were undrafted. You know, there's right. star players in the league that went mid rounds. So uh, I'm excited about all these guys. I, I think, what anyone can take away is that we're going to continue to add good football players, and that's going to improve our football team. And, and Ryan, you know, I don't know if you saw, there was a story in The Athletic that um, I, apparently they went through the depth charts of submitted from all the beat writers, and they have 10 projected offensive line starters. That's not counting Larry Borum, but 10, only 10 out of 160 players on offensive lines around the league that were actually drafted in rounds five through seven. And so we were talking about that because you obviously picked up four guys in that area, and it you know yep. it's a little different with you because maybe there's yep. an opening because maybe you're changing kind of the style, uh, the the way that you're looking for players, and um, yep. and also obviously you got a pretty good sense of what an offensive lineman is. So how how do you balance that that recognition of those numbers with the guys you take? Yeah, you know, for how we brought these players in and, and where they came from and their backgrounds, you know, we're looking for specific traits and, and makeup. Um, are some going to take a little bit longer than others? Yes. Um, but the main goal here was just to continue to increase the competition up front. And we feel like these guys that we that we brought in do that. And we're just going to slowly get better every single year, every season, and we'll, we'll get this thing improved. So uh, we're heading in the right direction. At this stage of the offseason, Ryan, when you look around, I just wonder, are you done yet? There are free agent wide receivers out there. There are offensive tackles out there. And I am curious that after things fell apart with Larry Ogunjobi, has that door closed entirely with him? Yeah, we're we're never done. Um, I mentioned this before. Like Our front office is going to be relentless with adding talent. Um, So it doesn't matter the time of year, where it comes from. We're always going to be searching to to get better. Uh, if that's via trade, if that's um, through the draft, free agency, post draft, cut down, um, we're going to keep firing away and just add good players to this roster. So I'm not going to rule anything out. 
when you look at your offensive line, we've talked a lot about the the right guard position, and I know Sam Mustafer was lined up there. They, you know, these are placeholder type things. Um, is is there a possibility that Lucas Patrick could end up playing the right guard position if you don't like what you have, or do you feel comfortable that you'll be able to uh, keep him at the center position? Yeah, I really like him at center, but that's that's where coaching and personnel kind of come together. You know, I think we're in the same philosophy that we're going to put the best five out there. So if that means the best five means he's at right guard, then, then that's what it will be. Um, I would I would love him to stay at center, but at the same time, you know, it's not about one individual. It's about the whole group. So the best five are going to be rolled out there um, when it's time to, time to go uh, during the season, and we'll roll that way. No matter what you call it, Ryan, I think you, you look at what you're doing and you're starting over in, in, in many respects. And I, and I think you're creating and establishing a culture. And last night, I thought it was interesting that you had Charles Tillman address the rookies. And obviously, he can speak to the Bears tradition and you want to introduce your culture. How would you describe what that is? You want, what message you want to send these young players as they arrive at Hallis Hall for the first time? Yeah, the, the big message is compete. It's compete um, to help us achieve our goal, and that's to be a championship-level organization. Uh, the cool thing with, with uh, Pina coming in and, and talking to our group is he shared that message in terms of, one, how special Chicago is, two, the history of this organization and what it takes to, to be excellent. And our guys over here, the rookies, they ate it up. Um, so I love the fact that that was kind of the starting point. That was how they came out of the gates was to get a message from a player like Peanut Tillman. You know, it, it's fascinating. I, I know I'm hammering the offensive line, but I can't get past it because you've talked about uh, upgrades on the offensive line. You've talked about uh, being a priority there. And, and I, by all accounts, that's one of the things you talked to George about uh, before you were mm-hmm. hired. So I'm just curious – has has any of the guys currently on the roster kind of surprised you in terms of what you're looking for in the scheme that maybe they can be better than you imagined? Um, and is that something you'll be looking for in this camp, somebody to surprise you in terms of the way they fit into the scheme? Yeah, first of all, they're working hard. Uh, they're improving. They're taking coaching. So that's obviously a positive. And uh, if you're an O-line guy like I am, which it sounds like you are, you know that we're not going to be able to tell much about these offensive linemen until we put pads on. So um, I love the work that they're putting in. They're doing everything right. They're adapting to the new scheme. They're changing, you know, their bodies, uh, everything that they're supposed to. They're competing. So, um, but listen, we all know up front when the pads come on, that's when we, we really see what's going on. You know, Ryan, I think when it comes to Justin Fields, everything is about the quarterback. Some people are fixated on that. Others are just focused on his development is such an important part of what happens next year and in the years to come. I would not say that as an observation, you've been effusive in your praise necessarily. I think you've been very honest in your evaluation and pretty positive in your projections. But how would you describe the level of belief that you have or the organization has in Justin Fields and his development as a franchise quarterback? Yeah, uh, my level of belief is is sky high. Um, And the one thing that you can tell the way this guy's moving around the building right now is he is locked on, he is focused, and he wants to be great. He's a first in, last out type guy. Not even type guy. He is that guy. And he's pulling this team together. Um, and you can tell the fact he has on other people. I mean, all these guys, are, are they're showing up, they're going to work. 
<clears throat> they're doing extra with him. He's locked in with Luke. Uh, it's it's really cool to see his presence is showing up and he's starting to take over. And obviously we got to get to to camp and we got to get to preseason games. And there's a long journey here, and there will be some ups and downs, especially with a new system that he's got to get through. And I know he's cleaning up some techniques. Uh, so it's not all not going to be perfect, but it's coming. And my belief is sky high with him. You know, I I guess um, Ryan, as we look at the the, the job that you've done. You know, there's a lot of a lot of taking care of the salary cap that has had to happen, and you've done a really good job of kind of trying to clean that up a little. And you're going to take some lumps, and then hopefully uh, be able to come back next year in a, in a more aggressive fashion in terms of free agency. But when mm-hmm. we when we look at the roster, there's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is just the age of some of the players versus. You know, I'm talking about the post thirty guys versus that. You know, you're always looking for that twenty five to twenty eight year old. Uh, seems to be the age for football players, NFL players. Um, are, are you done with the idea of maybe uh, turning some of the the older players into assets? Is that still a possibility? Um, you got a lot of. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't want to single anyone out, but Robert Quinn was a guy that supposedly had drawn phone calls uh, before the draft, obviously had a great year last year. Does he fit with the profile of what you're looking for from an age uh, standpoint? Yeah. Well, the one thing you get with, with Robert is, you know, when you watch that tape, is he, he embodies everything that Coach Ibrifus wants in terms of rushing the pass of the effort, the motor, tenacity. Um, so right now he's, he's a part of the plans. I'm excited about Robert. Um, you know, in terms of moves and all of that, you know, this, this league's crazy. You know, I can't rule anything out and give absolutes, but I want him on the team. And, um, you know, we'll see how everything happens as we move forward, but I'm excited about him. Ryan, you look at Roquan Smith. I wonder if you could share with us, do you know yet what his best spot is in that defense where the weak side linebacker can be such an impactful player or is he more comfortable in the middle and then when you look at long-term, how would you describe the tenor of uh, negotiations or at least conversations about making him a bear for a very long time? Yeah, we, um, it's, I don't think we've had enough practices to really figure out the mic, the will, um, and, and I'm really going to lean on, on Matt and his crew with that and put him in the best position to succeed. In terms of the contracts, you know, I really don't want to get into contracts. I know that we're really excited about Roquan. He's a difference maker on this team. I'm pumped about him, uh, especially in this defense. Um, so we'll just take that one step at a time. And, you know, if something happens, it happens. But right now we're just evaluating, and, and he's working his butt off too. So we're excited about him. We, we were joking earlier that you kind of did the lows and the fish thing with the draft picks uh, on, the, on the third day. I mean, you – you managed to get eleven picks out of six. Pretty extraordinary. You multiplied. You did. Um, is is part of that thinking, Ryan? The idea that there was the COVID year, there was the extra year. You do have guy. You have more, maybe a deeper draft class. So some of those guys on the bottom of the draft, some of the guys that fell into undrafted free agency, maybe it was a a richer, deeper class than we've seen before because of the extra year. Yeah, that had something to do with it. Um, <clears throat> definitely identified that piece. Um, it looked very, the board looked very different um, in that area this year than it did last year. 
Um, you know, the other thing too is just with limited picks, um, I knew that there's a lot of work to be done, and I'd rather bring in as many um, players from this draft, you know, that can help us as possible. So, um, obviously, I knew if we increased that number, our opportunities to to have guys come in here and, and make our team and provide depth and make plays, I was going to increase as well. So I was happy that how that worked out. Ryan, I saw you at the Hawks game, seen, seen you throwing out first pitches around town, <laughs> Cubs and Sox, and so. What has been the most fun about (laughs) – I I was trying to stay out of the dirt. You got to stay out of the dirt. You can't hit the backstop. And I almost got the backstop, but I was was bailed out. (laughs) How much fun has it been just making the rounds? And what do you like most about Chicago so far? I love the city. And, you know, I'm I'm stoked about the summer I want to explore. And, you know, was talking with the family. We just – we wanted to take the city in and – you know, I think there's just so much to do. You got to love the sports. You got to love, you know, one of these days the sun's going to come out and it's going to warm up. And <laughs> I know there's just going to be, you know, everyone's going to be out and happy. Um, so I'm excited just to explore the city and, and do different things. Okay. So that was Ryan Poles on with Mully and Haw. And if I was forced to say which way I feel about the draft, if if I'm given the binary of they didn't do enough for Justin Fields or I get it, they're making the whole team better and that will make Justin Fields better, I'm leaning towards I get it, they're making the whole team better and that'll make Justin Fields better. It's interesting. like Some of the reaction that people have had via – text or even Twitch where they're uncomfortable with hearing the general manager talk about how much time is needed to get this right. Let's be very clear on a couple of things. One, the NFL is a league where things can turn around quickly for you, but part of the reason Ryan Pace should have been fired two seasons ago is because, and definitely a season ago, is because what happened to the roster. Jason Leisure wrote this week in the Sun Times about the concept of roster repair, and I think it's a really good way to talk about this. Is it an excuse? Perhaps. It might also just be a reason. This team has got so many holes. And it has holes because of Ryan Poles' predecessor. So there's at least a portion of the beginning of his career at general manager, and I don't know if you want to cap that at two years, where he's got to clean up the mess that was left for him. Is it possible to do that and get better at the same time? Yes, but it's unlikely. So understand that he's got to do that. And it sucks. It is one of the things that really, really stinks about sports. That whenever there's leadership, new leadership that's brought in to a team, that we've gotten used to the idea of, wow, your last person was so terrible that you have to change almost everything about what your organization is. And that takes time that fans don't feel like they should have to wait. And rightfully so. You're a fan that sat through this, and in a lot of cases, you were a fan that sat through this and was like, man, this is some BS. 
This roster is terrible. They're not going to win anything. What are we waiting on with Ryan Pace? That's a problem that his bosses need to answer for. But they own the team, so they can't really answer for it. A lot of that is going to be put on Ryan Poles, but it's true. If someone let you be in charge of the Bears immediately, you would go in there and be like, oh, my God, there's a lot wrong here. And, yes, I'm excited about what we will eventually do, but, damn it, I need some more time because we've got to change things and fire scouting director dudes who are out here saying dehumanizing stuff about players. We've got to update our scouting system. We've got to do a better job of finding talent, and we have to fill a 53-man roster. You, If you listen to this show, you heard me tell you every week how bad this roster was. All you have to do is go back. I, I want to do an exercise. Ray, I'm going to do an exercise with you. Because quite honestly, I don't remember his name. Who's the guy that the Bears had starting at nickel in game one of the season last year? Now you got me scratching my head. Wow. Exactly. And remember, that guy was barely on the roster. I don't even remember his name. And then they played that game where they were like, well, you know, we we, we got a lot of different options at nickel. No, you didn't. And that nickelback is one of the most important positions on the field. When you're going up against teams with 11 personnel. And that's what a lot of these offenses are playing most of the time. Was it like a, I feel like there's a Christian somewhere in his name. I mean, he might be a Christian. I don't know. But I mean, there's like a, his name is actually Christian. That's what I'm saying. The Bears roster is so bad. How bad is it that you don't remember a dude who started for them last year? At the beginning of the season, if they're they're going to the bottom of the barrel to get someone to start for them at the beginning of the season, how bad do you think the bottom of their roster is? Ray still can't find his name. Still, I'm giving Ray two minutes, and he still doesn't know that man's name. I feel bad for that man, as Kiki Palmer would say. Still, we're going to take a break and find out if Ray can find his name. But think about that. You don't know his name. You don't know his name. And it's not Kendall Vildor. Texter, no, that wasn't him. I think it was uh, Marquis Christian. I, t- I told you there was Christian. a Christ- Christian. There's, there was Christian in his name. Yeah. Yeah. That, that guy. The, that was the guy. That guy started. He started. This is what Ryan Poles is dealing with. He's got to wipe all of that stuff away. Back after this on the score. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. 
A couple of years ago, I had an executive producer of the show named Tony Gill. Tony has gone on to do great things over at NBC Sports Chicago. We're very proud of Tony. He does a great job with the Sports Jason podcast as well. He said to me a few years ago that Donald Glover is a top five creative at the moment. Donald Glover, if you don't know, rapper, singer, producer, actor, screenwriter. I think I'm coming around. I don't know if you watch the show Atlanta. If you don't, you should. And if you haven't, you should jump on in, but particularly this season. Like, I've enjoyed the entire series. But this season has been amazing. I haven't watched the latest episode, but the episode last week with Baby Bash, man, it was incredible. And each week, like the first episode of the, the season was fantastic, and I've thought the episodes where it isn't the main cast have been better than the episodes with the main cast. And I'm so looking forward to seeing how they tie all of this together outside of what we as the viewer are experiencing from week to week. But I'm telling you, if you jumped off of Atlanta because it's like, man, it's been four years from from season two to season three, I'm telling you, Jump back in some of the best. There are two great television shows that are out right now. Better Call Saul and season three of Atlanta. You're welcome. I'll talk with Spiegel and Grody next here on The Score.